I've got all sorts of stupid radio questions because I know so little about radio. Uh, okay. here, here's the first stupid one of them, Damon, because you sound you sound crystal clear to me. Uh, all those bells and whistles in the studio, are any of them actually necessary? Is, is it all fake? That's the question. So when you say bells and whistles, are you talking about all the buttons or the sound or the audio? Yeah. Because I look at it this way. It's it might look like there is like a an element of airplane cockpit and there are way too many buttons to push. Yeah. This is why they don't have me on that side of the glass. They don't want me around the buttons. I yeah. just be I just pop audio. That's all I've ever done on my side of the glass. There's a cough button in case, you know, someone has to cough or something worse. Yep. And um, outside of that, it, it, it you know, it, audio is what you're painting with. So I, I, it's necessary to pop some audio, but it, it probably looks more complicated than it should. Yeah, it does look like a cockpit. It does have all those uh, light ups. And I, I don't know what any of it does. And it's been interesting, this podcast era that can be almost as low tech or as high tech as you want it to be versus I don't know. I would feel cool, though. It probably feels cool to be in one of those rooms doing your show, Master of the Spaceship. The amount of people who want to watch a radio show, I guess, would speak to the fact you're right about that. I mean, it's amazing that just a guy sitting in a studio is fascinating to people. Uh, people want tours. People want to come in and check it out. It looks like a cool place to work. And it is. It it it. Mm. It was. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's get into that. Do it again. Do it again. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars. Winners hang with winners. Let's start the intro right about now. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Welcome to Damon Bruce, Bay Area radio legend, um, who was going to come upon his ninth anniversary in about a couple days of working for uh, our local, one of our local two main sports talk channels out here, 95.7. And and what happened, David? Because just to set the scene, you did a show with Ray Ratto. It was a rush hour, primed kind of spot. Great ratings. I would be driving around sometimes. I would be listening. I'd, I'd think, well, this show works. And then what happened? I wish I really knew the answer uh, because the phone call that came to let me go was one of the bigger surprises I've run into. And I got good instincts. I usually know when something's coming and I I couldn't believe that I was actually being let go for anything less than something that I said on the air. But it was it was uh, it was a big surprise. And I think that the reporting on it has been pretty accurate. It was uh, it was an economic decision made by a company that's worried about its its economics. And and I I was stunned by the way it all went down. I've been saying that I'm sure there was a point in time when the Jackson five weren't making a ton of money but they never thought let's let michael go 
and this is the only time I'll be comparing myself to Michael Jackson on today's podcast, Ethan. But but it was free to do that as much as you want. And we encourage more of it. But continue. (laughs) But yeah, I was stunned by the whole thing. I was stunned that uh, it it, looked the the three top salaries at the station, two top hosts and the top producing salary were eliminated. And I think everyone can reach their own conclusions. Yeah, well, it seems something is broken in radio right now and a lot of this episode is just going to be me asking you about radio because it's a mysterious world to me it's a business that from the outside looking in doesn't make a whole lot of sense and it still has a major pull a lot of people in this area listen to radio and yet it seems like the business is broken um what is happening on the local level, on the national level, why does it feel like this whole thing is just is just malfunctioning and maybe it, it came out um, and and uh, brought some consequences to your life? Surprisingly, well, I don't know where. Well, I think that uh, I can't speak to national levels because I, I, I haven't been a national host other than occasional fill-in moments of my career. Locally, I think maybe more than anything else, San Francisco – and it's really disappointing because, you know, I was in Chicago last summer over the summer, Ethan, and and it was it was as if COVID-19 never touched the city of Chicago. The, the city is a, a thousand percent all the way back. And there is no difference between the Chicago that you knew and the Chicago that is today. The San Francisco that I knew and the San Francisco that is today are still totally different things. San Francisco huh. is not bounced back. And the commute to downtown San Francisco was born out of an awful lot of tech. And let's be honest, more than any other industry in America, tech was just told, hey, if you can get your job done from home, you almost never have to come back to work physically in the office ever again. So the commute returning to the Bay Area, it's returning slower here. It's why the downtown is recovering slower, the financial district yeah. and so on in San Francisco. And that to me is just a, a, a big hurdle to get over when you're looking to do business. And historically, and this has always been the truth about radio, I think on every level of radio is when times get tough. One of the first red lines of budget cuts is through advertising. And so when you have an advertising based business, it is, you know, it's one of the canaries in the coal mine of an Mm -hmm. overall booming economy. Like, look at how advertising, if advertising is way up across the board, I bet you the economy is way up across the board. If one is dipping, it's almost correlated to the other dipping. So I think that that. A a struggle to return to normalcy in the Bay Area commuting cycle and the fact that, you know, I just spent three days in Los Angeles at a radio summit. Uh, Jason Barrett, the guy who actually hired me to afternoon drive at 95.7 The Game and then since left the radio industry to start his own consulting uh, firm, uh, had a three-day radio summit in Los Angeles at USC at the Galen Center, and it was it was fascinating. It was great. It was great to meet so many people in the industry and hear from them and and how you know to the the person that I talked to, they thought, boy, you you caught a real raw deal. Um, yeah, that's that's reassuring for sure. But the underlying theme, like if you were reading in between the lines of any presentation, was that radio. Look, radio is not dying. And we'll talk about how much I still do love radio here in a second, because I do believe it's the most powerful communication tool 
when it comes to talking to someone one-on-one, you know, you're not being distracted by graphics in the lower third. A singular voice with a singular message coming out of a singular speaker, I think, is incredibly powerful. Um, but radio, it, it, it's not growing. It's not growing anymore. And so as, you know, radio is basically a a an oasis of water. And if you're lucky enough to have a seat at the the lake's edge and you're drinking from this oasis, you're good with it. Everything's okay. I was doing very, very well up until a couple of weeks ago. And mm. if, if you're, you can get comfortable sitting at the oasis, but all the smart animals are starting to move to a much more fertile rainforest of mass communication. That is the internet. That is YouTube channels. That is podcasting. And I guess it's time for me to do that, too. Uh, One of the things that always prevented me from doing that was I was concentrating on doing the best radio show that I could. Like, that was a full-time job. Um, Now I look at the whole thing and said, geez, I should have been dabbling in this, you know, the podcasting space or my own YouTube channel independent of the station. And I should have done that years ago. What's the old proverb? It's uh, it's like, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago. But the second best Mm. time is today. So, you know, I have reached my second best time and I'm calling this, you know, trying to look at everything as positively as possible. And I really do see a bright, positive future here that it it was my uncomfortable push forward. Would I have started a YouTube channel had three Wednesdays ago not happened? The answer is probably not. Actually, it's no, it's, it's a definitive no. I was too busy doing something else. But now I've been forced into pivoting, adapting, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I got to tell you, and this is not where, you know, I start uh, kissing up to the host, but I've watched what you've done, shedding, you know, call letters, ESPN, whatever you want to call that, sh- shedding corporate backing journalism to do your own thing. I've seen how good you are with it, how successful you are with it. Even though we come from different places, you're more of a, a writer than I, I'm certainly not a writer. And you know how how big of a fan I am of yours. I was, I, I bet you I'm in your first thousand subscribers, my man. I bet you I am. I, 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 I did it instantly uh, because you are the kind of guy I thought he's so good at what he does. I'm happy to pay him to get what he does. And I'm seeing that that's a world that is now, you know, people are making a la carte choices. Nobody wants to go to the buffet. They just want to go to the one dish at the buffet that they like the most. And, mm. and I think that that is, you know, we're, we're leaving a world of broadcasting to a much more streamlined concept of narrow casting. Yeah. And ultimately, when you do that, and first of all, thank you for the very nice, uh, very nice compliments. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think the main thing when you make that pivot is to have something other people don't have. I w- you know what I was intrigued by, Damon, that you did? You know, it was very, very uh, drawn to was you talking about the Warriors while making a proper plate of scrambled eggs. And I thought to myself, just that alone <laughs> is something. Just that alone is something that I'm not necessarily getting out there, that there is not uh, there is a population. I don't know how many more recipes you got in you, but there's a population of people that want to see how to make a certain item of food, but they also want other commentary. And it was I have to say, quite masterful. Not not just because I believe, as you do, that you need to slow and low 
agitate the eggs as as it really comes uh, to fruition. Got to aerate. Got to aerate. Got to aerate. <laughs> got to be conscious of how the egg is going to cook a little bit after you take the flame off and, and everything else. But how you have that background skill of having done solo radio, the Jim Rome style. They were always pairing you with people, but you've got that you've got that skill. So you've got that deceptively difficult uh, ability to make some scrambled eggs, instruct on the scrambled eggs, and seamlessly talk about the Warriors. I was intrigued with that. I thought, I don't know if this is going to be, I don't know if this is a gimmick today or if Damon regards it as such, or if this is going to be a thing he does. But that right there is something that I'm not getting elsewhere. I've got more hot takes than I've got recipes. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, no. So, it's so just, I, just the eggs. I mean, maybe this is your back. opportunity to learn. Maybe this is uh, Welcome back some. next week as we do an omelet. And then here we go with an egg in the hole and then pancakes, the pancake. We'll have to say that for the Super Bowl, I guess. Pancake, French toast. I don't know. But uh, it, it, it's funny. Uh, Nick Wright reached out and texted me about the same video you're talking about. He's like, hey, I really like that. How many more recipes you got? Seriously. <laughs> and I was like, not too many, not, not too many. So, um, yeah, just, you know, I'm. I haven't figured it out yet. I don't know what the next thing is going to look like. And some of the uh, best advice I've gotten from people who know an awful lot more about the space of the Internet than I do was don't wait for perfect to come along when you think you got pretty good. You know, when you think you got pretty good, just go with pretty good and we'll worry about perfect down the road. Oh, this is completely. And I've had friends and colleagues uh, over the years and it relates to your tree. Uh, what do we call that? It's not an anecdote, a phrase, whatever we want to call it, the aphorism about yes. planting the tree, where they would sl- they would start their own podcast or launch their own podcast, and they would want everything to be perfect, and they would be precious about everything, and the intro song, and what is it? And it's just just start. I I, I think back to. Somebody asked Francis Ford Coppola, how do you make all these movies that were over budget and were so ambitious? How did the studio even greenlight any of it? And he said, I just start making the movie. I I get a little bit of a yes and I go to the jungle uh, and I just start making Apocalypse Now and I just keep going. And it it all comes to fruition like your scrambled eggs eventually, Um, hopefully. But you learn by doing a lot of the time. And I think that there's too much of an impulse to try to be perfect. And you're getting to perfect just by doing, just by A-B testing, just through trial and error. Um, And your job is just to work hard between when you know what you're doing and when you don't know what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with winging it. Unless you're, you know, learning trapeze, in which case you should have a net there. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I had to be convinced, like, hey, you, you don't need to be the most polished, perfectly background, professional setting, perfectly lit, perfectly mic thing. People just want to hear you again, and and you know, someone, you know, I, I, I live in San Francisco. I speak fluent drug culture. When somebody <laughs> said, when when somebody said to me, you know, look, man. People have been taking you for the better part of 18 years out here, you know, nine and a half years at KNBR, nine years almost at 95-7 the game, and people are addicted to what you do. And I tell you, when you do get let go from somewhere, it's like you get to see your own funeral happen. 
I mean, oh, you yeah. get to find out who loved oh, you. I, who- I, it's great. It's great. It's it's suboptimal the timing, but I experienced it in 2017 where, uh, I, yeah, you're you're watching all these nice things people are saying about you that you ordinarily would need to die to uh, to receive. <laughs> right. No one ever said that to me when things were going well, but the minute I get hit with a shaving cream pie, everybody's <laughs> got a napkin for you. You know, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. But I uh, I I I remember just telling myself through this whole thing that it's time to go ahead and be unafraid. I've never not bet on myself. You are a guy who's always bet on yourself and it's time to just start betting on myself again. Um, It's, it's, it ain't going to be perfect. We're going to break things. And what wasn't like Facebook's original yeah, move like fast company and break move things. And break yeah. things. I, I mean, I don't know if we're going to do it quite irresponsibly, <laughs> but uh, we are we are going to move fast. We are going to break things. There will be some things that land well, well you, like the egg you, video you and things that don't land. Be, yeah, you would hope to be like them and build it up to such a scale that you're breaking things that matter. I mean, that's really the ultimate goal. Um, I mean, I think there's something to that ethos when you're not in control of all that they're in control of. Um, right. But right no, but here, here's, to, to get back yeah. to the drug analogy real quick, the, the point sure. was like, hey, Damon, uh, people are kind of addicted to you, those who really, really like mm. you. And you got to just get right back to them because they will eventually wean themselves off of mm. you. you know. And, and so that's why I just said, all right, instead of stepping very carefully, it's now officially time for me to just step in it. So yeah. that's why we're doing things again. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good instinct. That's what I was concerned on behalf of sports during the pandemic because, hey, people build other habits. They get into a new kind of hobby, and once this thing is out of their lives, maybe when it comes back, they don't they don't incorporate it again. I think that's happened for certain sports leagues. But I, I'm curious about this. I you, I and I was first aware of you when you were doing this. The solo show, right? I, I think a lot of people don't understand how unusual a skill that is to be able to just do a show by yourself, have it not be weird, have it seem personable, seem like you're connecting with an audience when you don't have other people really to bounce your energy off of. I'm wondering do you miss or did you miss doing that as much as you started to be paired with more and more people on these radio shows? I've always said when I was a little kid and I've wanted to be in radio like my entire life, uh, I've ne- I never wanted to grow up to be a broadcasters. I, I just wanted to be a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. I-, I always sort of wanted to do it on my own. But then I, you know, quickly realized that when you're paired with the right person, there can be something there. And Ethan, I have no idea how Ray Ratto and I had chemistry at all. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we had different guys. I don't know how it worked or why it worked or could even make the argument to prove to you that it did work other than the ratings were fantastic. But it worked. You know, something I, I was I wasn't really resistant to it, but I, you know, I, I, I had to be convinced that it would be an interesting pivot at the time. And it, and it worked. It worked very, very well. Um, I'm also very interested in going back to just kind of doing it on my own. I, I really am. Um, and it's funny. You talk about it's this unique skill and maybe indeed truly it is. And I don't want to devalue myself. I've never been impressed with my own abilities. I really haven't been. To me, it's just it's natural. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to become a broadcaster. You either, you is or you isn't, you know what I mean? It's mm. just that sort of thing. You're either comfortable 
talking extemporaneously off your head into a microphone or you're not. And I don't know how much repetition anyone could really go through to really make them comfortable. I always thought of it was even though I'm talking into a microphone that's going out to an audience, I never imagined an audience. I I imagined it a one-on-one conversation. Mm. I didn't say, thanks, everyone. Like, I never used the everyone or all of you. Everyone was like, I never did that. I always tried to talk to one person. I always tried to make it a singular conversation. So maybe that was one of my mental tricks, you know, the equivalent of a uh, stand-up comedian picturing the audience in just their underwear. underwear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, do you think you have to be a, you know, don't want to offend you, but do you think you have to be a weird person for that to work, to be able to just talk off the top of your head and generate that warmth, generate that feeling when there's nobody there? You got a gab. I mean, the gift of gab is maybe the only gift I've ever really had. And that an irrational self-confidence, which I guess goes into me thinking that I could do this or anyone would actually um, you know, broadcasting is inherently a selfish uh, choice to make because you think that yeah. people are going to be interested in what you're saying. I'm guessing a writer goes through this, too. You know, why would anyone want to yeah. read what I'm writing? Why would anyone listen to what I'm saying? And and I don't know. I, I, I really can't explain it. But is, is it weird? Is it? Yeah. I mean, I'm uh, am, am I am I normal? I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I I'm more normal for me, I guess. But it's, yeah. uh, you know, I've always enjoyed. Public speaking. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I was told that there are more people afraid of public speaking. Check that box. than they do. We're afraid of death. And I thought, mm. geez, this is the one. Maybe this is the one singular advantage I could ever bring into a work environment. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm not afraid of the thing that scares people the most. I should maybe do a little something with that. I really should. So um, it's been uh my my wife is printing something right now, so there's something coming up on the printer. I don't know if that's going through the mic or not, but I'm no, a radio I, guy. I'm, I'm, I'm you're, always you're good. You're, you're sensitive to noise. We can deal with the imperfections here. It's it, it it's okay. It's um yeah. I it, it is. It's a funny thing. I mean, yeah, writing is similar. You need a certain level of grandiosity and sense that somebody's going to be interested in what you have to say. But I have such a better handle on if an article is good than if a piece of audio is good. I really do not know. I don't know how people are going to take it in after I'm done with it. I find it to be so strange. Uh, in the case of yourself, you were doing kind of singular performances before you were working with other people. When it's with other people, you just don't know. I'm like, I, I don't know. You're going to assess the conversation I just had. And maybe you like what you're hearing and maybe you don't. Oftentimes, they'll remember something about the conversation, a listener or subscriber that I do not even recall happening. And that was the one thing they really zeroed in on. That's not the case with an article. With an article, I almost always know when it's good. And I almost how, always how- know... How often do you start writing and then halfway through it, you just 86, not only the article as it is, but the premise that you are working from itself? Maybe about 30% of the time. Um, About 30% of the time. And it happens differently because sometimes I go in with a premise that I am just juiced about and I go, okay, I'm very excited to execute this. And almost every single time that works out. But that those are that's great. When, when I have one of those, that's great. And a lot of the times, I'm a little bit in between, and I need to write my way into what I think about it. 
and I maybe need to learn a thing or two to really know what I think about it. And sometimes in that process, you get to a place where you go, yeah, this doesn't really line up. This doesn't really line up with what I went in and what I what I thought. And I have to just right. sounded better in my head way. than it's reading here on paper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got to sock it away. I got to know discretion's a better part of valor. Um, and that and that happens. But I'm a big believer in Roger Ebert's the muse comes while you're writing, not before. And I think you can really do a disservice to yourself if you're sitting around going, Oh, I just don't know what to write. What am I like? So you, you've got to sit down and you've got to write your way into what you're what you're saying eventually, even if you end up throwing it out afterwards. And the ability to be able to throw it out afterwards actually informs the ability to do uh, to do a lot of that. Because if I don't go in going, I am a million percent committed to doing this, then I can actually uh, relax and actually try to do it and throw it out if it's not working. If that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I'll tell you, one of the things that always drove me nuts about writers who you could feel them looking down their nose at broadcasters, either through their columns or just how you would deal with them, was like my follow up question to any sort of attitude I ever caught from a writer was, how good would you be without a backspace? Mm. How good would you be without an editor? Because I'm living my entire life, you know, on the air and there are no backspaces on the air. Like once you say it, it's said there is you have to self edit in real time while you're speaking extemporaneously. And so it's easy to criticize a broadcaster for saying something stupid because they don't get to work with backspaces. They don't get to take another shot at that before they push send. They don't, they can't get a perspective from someone else, an editor before they send it to the general public. So it's, it was interesting to work with a guy who, you know, my, my background definitely in broadcasting, Ray Ratto's background, definitely in writing, and, you know, he basically detested broadcasting as he was doing it. <laughs> and yeah. but you could I, I could feel, you know, my pace was always up here and Ray's is always down here because I could hear him, you know, measuring twice before he cut where I'm over here just with an axe chopping up everything. And and I just think that those are two different brain wirings. Mm. And again, the yin and yang, maybe that's why I work between he and I. I again that that part is also ineffable and that's what fascinates me because a lot of my job is to describe something that's in the air and maybe people are aware of but it needs words to it to really to really harness it the superior wharf hypothesis that it's easier to understand a concept once you give it a name but this world of that charisma is too ineffable and that's what makes it interesting to me that I can't quite figure it out. I've been thinking about it. I get people writing into me saying that Waz, big Waz of the ringer, Waz Nilambre is my best guest host. And I think they're right. But now I do I exactly know why and what that is? It's very human. It's very nuanced. It's very complex. And that's one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by the medium that you operate in. And then you have to kind of approach it from the Tom Petty writing songs perspective where people would always say tom how could you how do you write so many good songs and he's like not only do i not know but i don't even want to understand it it just <laughs> then it would screw it, it exactly. would screw it up it, right if i if i self-examine too long i might screw it up so i just you know i don't know it comes to me it happens and tom can you write me a song can you write so a perfect duet between me and steven Nicks too and he's like hey i i, I was just trying to write a song for myself <laughs> and <laughs> 
yeah, it, it's well, it's it's funny how the creative process is something that you want to uh, constantly reevaluate and update and refresh and yet at the same time not rock the boat. I wonder if you can hack it in a way. Remember uh, Ben Falk, who has a subscription service on basketball, used to work for the Blazers, used to work for the 76ers, and just a very smart, focused guy. We uh, we went out to lunch in Oakland a few years ago, and he, because he was starting this website where there'd be a component of writing about basketball, he asked me, how do you improve at writing? And the thought had literally never occurred to me, I, I, which is which is odd when you think about it. You would think if this is what I do for a living, I would have thought to myself, how do I get better at it? What do I practice? Uh, there, there are ways. I mean, the basketball players are practicing. They're shooting right. from this spot, shooting from that spot. Uh, why is it this creative endeavor that you don't go about it in that way and i didn't have a good i didn't have a good explanation for him and i thought it was a it was a it was a good question it was a worthwhile question to consider right you almost wish you had a better answer (laughs) yeah i would i wish i had a better answer and i would assume it's similar with this that it's just i i don't know you just keep doing it i I think that's really the only the only thing you could say is is it a blind spot that i don't do a lot of self-evaluation (laughs) <laughs> like would I would I be better at it if I do? I mean, I you know I listened to air checks. I wanted to know if things sounded natural, smooth, and that sort of thing. And I mean, I remember you would come on the show and you even called me one time. You're like, Damon, you're the king of the segways. I'm like, well, okay, then I guess uh, don't need to worry about anything. I can just segue to something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's a whole yeah. That's a skill that I've never developed. And so you notice the things that you can't do that other people can do. Um, it's interesting to me. You talk about not being able to operate with a backspace assuming that you would ultimately get shit canned over something you said. And maybe was that a day that in the back of your mind, you were waiting for, uh, for, for when you would get taken out almost like a Sopranos character that it would come suddenly. And that would be the reason. Is that what you were, was there any relief in it not happening that way in this instance? Well, I mean, I, I guess it speaks to my, and I'm using air quotes here, professionalism, because I, here in San Francisco, we're living in the most, you know, culturally sensitive, rabbit-eared, maybe corner of America in terms of people looking to be offended by not just what you said, but how you said it. And you didn't use the proper, you know, language or dialect or pronoun is the new thing. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it, it feels like San Francisco is a minefield of sensitivity that a big ogre like me would definitely set off a lot of these mines as I walked through the minefield and it never happened. It like it 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 never it never really happened. And I, I was I was stunned by that. And I think, geez, if 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 you can do this here, maybe you know, you you can do it anywhere, right? I mean, it's 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 a town that embraces what I've always called outrage du jour. What are you upset about today? What 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 mm. about the world, the culture, society, that segment, that show, that book, that magazine article, what about it didn't you like? Forget about anything that you did like. Let's concentrate on what you didn't like. And that is uh, a, a world that we live in out here. But I'll tell you, San Francisco is a lot cooler than a lot of the perceptions that people attach to it. Because, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am stunned that I was let go at the apex of radio success without doing something to like hang myself Mm. i i yeah Yeah. that was that was the big surprise is it reassuring i don't know if that's the word 
Yeah, surprising. I remember, I remember we could cut this if you don't even want to revisit it. I remember you had a situation. Was it a decade ago? It was a long time ago. The sandbox comment. Yes. Um, <laughs> what was that an experience where it felt like it was touching and touch and go for your career or did it did it seem like it was just something to uh to learn from and do you even want to discuss it at this particular time so it was a moment where i for the first time professionally held the you know the the shit stick of the internet's outrage i mean i really mm-hmm really stepped into it, and rightfully so i mean i i was off my rocker i wasn't myself and i i i made the always huge mistake of painting with way too broad of a brush when i had a specific knit to pick and that is a huge lesson that i learned in that moment that if you got a problem with someone call it out don't don't just you now i got a problem with everyone you know that sort of thing so it, it was uh it was a huge learning lesson. And I think that if 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 that moment had defined me, I, I might have been in trouble. But I think people also understand that you have a bad day. Yeah. And I, you know, well, there, I, I, I think there was more of an understanding back then. And to sort of give a general overview, it was talking about how sports are the domain of men. And this is our sandbox, um, you know, versus women coming into the industry, which was happening more often around that time. And I think there was some tongue in cheek to what was going on, but it, you know, it, it landed it like a lead balloon. It yeah. really did. It really did. And I, uh, um, I think I over-exaggerated something that I didn't have that much conviction in for, I don't want to call it the shock value, but just the entertainment. I was also like going through, I was ending an engagement at the time. So I was operating from just a a, a very angry spot. I don't think that's ever been devolved. There you go. There's your breaking news. Um, But, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I mean, the amount of people who reached out to me and said, Hey, that's not you meant i i really thought i was going to get through it i really did i also know that i deeply deeply hurt some people's feelings and i reached out to those that i knew whose feelings i had hurt and um uh, uh you know 95% of 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 everyone i talked to specifically forgave me and yeah. um anyone who wants to harbor an eternal don't like you against me again i i can't change their feelings but i i i've got you know, one really, I think, day in a 19 year long on air speaking extemporaneously into a microphone career. Mm-hmm. So, um, we survived. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it, back then there was definitely the outrage complex and nobody's in charge of the scale of any of these reactions. Um, but there was a little bit more of an understanding back then of you have a bad day or you have a bad moment. Now, I don't even I don't even know. But to what you're saying, I feel like you're San Francisco, your audience, your listeners, isn't what people think about when they think about the Bay Area. When people think about the Bay Area, they reduce it to the most influential people. It's Tech billionaires, tech bros, 7 million people live in this region. There right. are people who actually like there are people who who uh, who do plumbing 
for instance. There are people who are firemen. There are people, whatever kind of job, whatever kind of job you want to name, people do those jobs. People make their commutes. And so in a way, it, it doesn't surprise me. I don't you know, it does have this sense of there's a minefield. There does have a sense of, oh, my God, you don't want to say the wrong thing. But I think for the most part, you're dealing with an audience of reasonable people who work for a living. Right. <laughs> that's, Every, that's everyone, everyone in San Francisco gets billed with, oh, well you, well, you must have a Tesla. There are a lot more Honda Civics on the highway than there are Teslas, even though there are a lot of Teslas. Yeah. There's more Honda Civics out there. And in San Francisco, I think. Because of the the veil of tech that was dropped over the city over the last 20 years has sort of been, um, you know, mischaracterized because it's also very much and it was, you know, a a blue collar town. Now, it's hard to live in this town with just a blue collar paycheck. There is no doubt about that. And that's a big problem with San Francisco. It's also a problem with, I think, the return of downtown because a lot of people, you know, it, it it's. To come into to just drive into San Francisco, spend the day here and then drive out. You're looking at like a seventy five dollar proposition between between parking and bridge tolls and lunch that afternoon. And it's all said and done. I mean, the 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 fifteen dollar lunch is now the thirty dollar lunch in San Francisco. The 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 new five dollar bill is the twenty dollar bill in San Francisco. And and that is tough. But it really is there. There is an element of blue collar to this town that does more to define it locally than it certainly does in the national conversation about this town. And they love their Niners. That's the thing I've learned. I, uh, I, I wondered who runs this area. The Warriors dynasty uh, definitely connected and was huge. And they're more popular in this town than any NBA team is popular in any town. But when the Niners started to really build something, even without winning a championship, it's just it, – it, I think that was something that was a, a benefit to the radio culture was just how much people were into that. I go to the car dealership. All the car salesmen are wearing their Niners jerseys around the playoff run. Um, the 49ers like, are the sports cocaine that yes. everyone is addicted to in this drugs show. is the th- drugs is the theme of this podcast welcome, welcome, by the way welcome to Damon bruce plus <laughs> we're going to be talking <laughs> about these things uh but look it uh, plus by the way i don't know did you like that Damon bruce plus i do, I, I do like that Thank i do you. like that uh but yeah it it look football is king but if just the broad term of football is king really applied to every inch of the bay area the raiders would still be here right like the Ra- mm. the raiders would have worked out better even with incompetence coming down from ownership in the top or whatever you want to call that, you know, so whatever makes the Raiders, the Raiders, uh, it, the Niners, I mean, there's just the, it's the fucking Niners. Like you can't stop it. You cannot stop it. And you know, a, a, the promise of a 12 win season and a playoff appearance is bigger than a, a dynasty of an NBA team yeah. out here. I mean, it just, it is amazing. It's crazy. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy, who we'll figure out if that works or not, is like instantly as popular as Steph Curry, who is, you know, I think measurably one of the 10 greatest basketball yeah. players of all time. Brock Purdy isn't even in the photograph of the 100 greatest quarterbacks to ever play. I mean, he's not even there yet. Yeah. So, but, but the amount of attention that that team commands 
And it isn't just local either. I mean, I, the very first sports jersey I ever saw in Europe was a Joe Montana jersey. Like I, mm. I, I land in Amsterdam and within 15 minutes, I see a Joe Montana jersey. I'm like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. And 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 as you know, you to be a media hit, you got to hit that trajectory of media growing and you being a hit all at the same time. And as we started sharing stuff with satellite TV in the mid 80s, that's when the Niners empire was you know at its absolute apex and that's why they are they're a local team but they are as big of a global brand as i've ever seen and you know the warriors the fact that they become that is a story unto itself because we know how astonishing i mean i i first became aware of you as somebody who was on the radio honestly talking about how much they sucked and going okay this guy is actually in tune with with what's happening and uh back in those days that's when i was doing uh, the post game show i'm sure they loved that but (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that's why it was striking that's one of the reasons why i think uh you started to pop on some people's radar where there's this culture around the uh around the team and the flagships and every everybody else where it's hey monte ellis is an all-star you know he's he's an all-star maybe vote for him for all-star and this poly anna-ish approach to a team that was completely foobar uh before the ownership change um and uh yeah it's it's taken for granted damon uh where they were versus where they are anything that happens there's a little bit of creeping determinism where we act as though it was always headed to this exact juncture but it is unimaginable given what that team was just within the nba and also locally uh to what it is now i mean say it out loud it doesn't even sound believable the no. Warriors are worth more than the Lakers. I mean, to be, they just, what? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. If, if, if you had told somebody that in 2011 as a potential, as, as just a potential outcome, that is not. I'm hanging I mean, up on they, that caller on every radio show I've ever just <laughs> hanging up. Just, the, the Warriors going to be worth more than the <laughs> Lakers. Click. Just just yeah. an instant hang up. There's no reason to talk to that person. They're out of their mind. They don't live in the same observable reality that we do. And they've done it. It's it's yeah. truly remarkable. It's one of the to me, um, you know, I mean, victory machine, baby. You you wrote all about ah. it. Well, I wrote about the de- the decline, the sort of fascinating fall of it. I the how it came to be is still something that's hard for me to wrap my mind around because you want it to be a simple story. I think the fall apart is a simpler story than it all coming together. It's easier to do an autopsy and explain why the patient died than to explain why life exists. And I think of why a lot of it came together it's was a lot brilliant, of things. By the way, that's brilliant. I'm stealing it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. There you go. There you go. Um, but I think a lot of the reason why it came together was – Good people, unexpected, just unexpected things happening. Steph Curry having a contract that wasn't that big because his ankle was a, an issue and he didn't, he wasn't a superstar and that allowed you to get other guys. And then, hey, Bob Myers and Steve Kerr, they didn't really know each other going in, but they've got a good dynamic. The GM and the coach almost never like each other or get along. So that's very helpful. The Draymond thing. And it's just an unbelievable run of luck and coincidence combined with some people who were great at their jobs, combined with some people who became unexpectedly great at their jobs. And there's no way to fit that into a theme. You try. That's how you want to market it. A's, Moneyball, a story of how they use statistics to manipulate 
the data set they have to get an advantage on the the overdogs. That's a story. It's digestible. It's a comprehensive explanation of why they can compete. The Warriors, I, I don't really... What's the elevator pitch for what happened there other than a ton of things going right? It's a confluence of data points that nobody could have ever put together. And as you try to... As you, as you see it all and you know what happened and you start to deconstruct it, it's freaking yeah. amazing. You start pulling on this thread. I mean, they can't get Kevin Durant if they didn't do the D'Angelo Russell thing. They don't have... Kaminga, if they don't do the trade that brought Andrew Wiggins in the draft pick that became, they it, it's it's amazing yeah. what happened. I don't know if any of it really starts with that Andre Iguodala blessing the whole thing as the big first free agent to want to play with Steph yeah. and and the influence that that carries. Um, the fact that the cap grew right yeah. ahead of the summer of Durant is just, I mean, it what they did could only happen in the time that it happened. It can never happen again. People oh. will be chasing the concept of how did the Warriors do it? It can't happen again. You have to have a time machine to go back and have the world change around the team. The NBA's landscape and the media change around the team for it to all happen at the same time. It is extraordinary. And like you said, it really is. It's a combination of luck, people who are really good at what they do, a, a, a lot of elbow grease, and an owner who yeah, just the ownership you know, change? Oh, I mean, and just you know, Joe Lacob is. I, I've never seen anyone who attached his own like self importance not to to mm -hmm. ownership of a team, but the success of the team that he owns, and that yeah. is a level of ownership that fans better appreciate to the end of time. Like when every good team comes to its end, when the Warriors reach the end. It, it, there's going to be some, well, Joe Lacob did it. Joe Lacob is the greatest thing that ever happened in this franchise, bar none. He and Steph Curry, that's the list. Yeah. And there's always a little bit of tension there because Joe wants the credit that's going to flow to Steph Curry because we like watching Steph Curry. Joe Lacob, in some ways, is a hard guy to love. He's acerbic. He's not exactly Mr. Empathy, but it is crucial to have a competent person who gives a shit at the top of the org chart. That is crucial in the NBA for sustained success. And, and it happened. And if I go to, again, if we're trying to explain why the Warriors happened, it's very difficult. But if I were to explain why the Kevin Durant iteration of the Warriors fell apart, well, then it gets really simple. Then the autopsy, yes, there are other elements, but the autopsy I can simplify. I can go, okay, Kevin Durant wanted the rewards for winning to be much greater than they actually were and when he was dissatisfied by what it did to his reputation he wanted to bail that's as simple as the story can be told it's and the rare you, it's the rare moment in yeah. sports where a title devalued a career mm. an individual's career because that's no, interesting yeah nobody looked at durant and said that's you buddy yeah yeah and, and, maybe and, they should have well, Maybe the problem is, is the Warriors won last year, though. I mean, that well, is, then, yeah. that, and to me, that is what drove Kevin Durant nuts. More than like that broke Kevin Durant. I truly believe that. That more than anything else, more than Harden leaving, more than Kyrie talking about, you're gonna love this Adolf Hitler movie. More than anything, more than anything else, more than anything else, the Warriors winning a title, I think, turned. Kevin Durant into somebody who will like never be comfortable in his own basketball skin. Fascinating. The whole thing is just so fascinating to me.
it, it, it is fascinating. Um, and yeah, that it did devalue a career. But part of it, too, is I feel as though Kevin Durant didn't get the credit because people didn't want to give it to them, give it to him. And that's how life works sometimes, where yeah. if people don't like the move you made, then they're not going to care that you were ice cold in the finals multiple times, that those shots actually were hard, that, yeah, maybe you get more open shots because of staff, of course, but we just we didn't want to give him the credit. And we also didn't want to give him the credit, Damon, because he wanted it and he overtly wanted it. And that's when you never get it. When you seem like you need it so bad from us, we withhold it. I don't know that why we operate that way as human beings. You see it in the dating market. If you act too desperate, it's not going to work out for you. You need to seem like oh, I could take or leave it like Clay Thompson acted at least pre-injury. And then people will just give you all that credit. And that's how it goes. How much credit do you give Steve Kerr? Uh, so let me uh, it, I've always, you know, we we live in a world where we now have the multiverse, right? The Marvel multiverse. Mm. I would love to see a multiverse where Kerr took the next job. What would that have looked like? Could Steve Kerr's outstanding ability to communicate with people actually triumphed over the dysfunction of the New York Knicks? Or would the New York Knicks have buried Kerr like they eventually bury everyone who ever took that job. Which which force, the force of good or force of evil, would have won there? I I would have I'd oh, yeah. love to see that movie. I would have enjoyed his announcing on TNT is is my my immediate thought. Um I think that's what would have happened. I think that's by his own admission how it would have gone down. The Knicks are the Knicks he would have done it because he wanted to bite at that particular apple. Uh he wanted to become a coach any which way but you know it's the knicks they don't produce good outcomes that's just not what they do that's not just, what they're in the business of i just love <laughs> that you know a, a guy who's like a dominant shooter like what did steve do did he play lockdown defense no great passer no athlete <laughs> come on he's a shooter and steve kerr looked and he saw a team with the two best shooters of all time and he said that might be the comically bad and inept golden state warriors but i'm going to pick the shooters and i'm going to cast my dice with them well, yeah then- well credit to him i think he saw a lot in clay thompson and he did not i mean look i think it's kind of known by now he didn't want them to make that trade he yeah. did not want them to make that trade of getting clay out of here and Kevin, Love. Kevin Love in. Yeah. And he was one of the people who was the main decision makers. If they brought a guy on who felt differently, say they got Stan Van Gundy instead of Stan Van Gundy going to Detroit, and Van Gundy wanted Kevin Love, then Kevin Love would be on the Warriors. And it's really that's that's just what would have happened. So it's another look, data I, point. Had that had that been a data point that factored in the Warriors, the dynasty doesn't happen. I mean, the, the decision to not make that trade is among the biggest decisions. In yeah. the story of the entire team. Yeah. And I would have told them to make it. I definitely would have said, go get Kevin Love. I mean, that's that's what I would have assumed back then. Uh, so I was on team. It's a lot harder to find a power forward who can do that than a shooting guard who can do that. So I was on the wrong yeah. side of history in the moment as it was happening, too. So maybe, well, maybe that's why you and I see eye to eye. <laughs> we were that's, both that's... wrong about Kevin Love. <laughs> well, you know, speak, speaking of not seeing eye to eye, Damon, it, what... 
what did you make of the uh, the you got testy Steve uh, a, a while ago when asking about the Wiseman stuff? Um, it, it seemed like he got his back up a little bit, and you were doing what you should be doing on behalf of the fans to to ask some of the hard questions about the development of the young players because the Wiseman thing did not work out. And would that be extended to some of these other young guys on the team? Uh, what did you make of him getting his back up? And, and, and you got a little bit of icy Steve um, when we so often see friendly Steve. Yeah. I, I think that there are two things involved. I think he's, he is the guy who's incredibly disappointed that it didn't work out the way that he wanted to. I think he genuinely did like James Wiseman, but realized it was not a fit for the team. And the day that we were supposed to talk to Kerr about it was the day of, you know, oh, well, there's a problem with Gary Payton the second and we got to go into mm-hmm. his medicals. And this could be Carlos Correa holding up, you know, a trade again because of a medical that did not pass. And so the day we were supposed to talk to Steve, he couldn't talk about it. By the time we got to Steve, it was a full like eight, 10 days later. And I just think he had just had it up to his eyeballs. He didn't want another question about it. He certainly didn't want a tough question about it. Um, And, you know, I, I think he wanted to say, well, it's all about individuals. It's not, you know, I think the, the question that set him off more than anything else is how do you, Make sure this doesn't happen to Patrick Baldwin Jr., who, you know, every time he hits the court, he looks like a, hey, that might work. And then you don't Mm. see him for a month and a half. It just and I understand young players get coaches in trouble all the time, but it feels like the level of mistakes that are afforded to veterans on this team that rookies make just aren't afforded to the rookies, even though they're basically the same mistake happening at the exact same time in games. And, And and it didn't. Make a lot of sense. There are people who said that, you know, hey, you know, Steve Kerr is the reason why you're not at 95. Nothing could be further than the truth. Steve is a great guy. He had nothing to do with me not being on that station in any way, shape or form. He's a big boy. He knows how to take it. He knows how to dish it. And that day he he pushed back a little bit. And I just think he was about as tired of the topic and also very disappointed that it didn't work out at the same time. And maybe he didn't like the question. And I don't care. It needed to be asked. And that's. That's that's professional sports. That's why he gets the big bucks. Yeah. Well, okay, Mr. Professional Segway guy. Uh, how the hell would I segue from that topic to be asking about how your stroke potentially changed you uh, back in, I think, 2017? How the hell do I do that, David? How do I go from 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 sports banter to a question that heavy? Is it even possible? Well, you should play the stroke by Billy Squire, buy the rights to that, just start rocking it. And then um, that's the segue everyone's looking for. It was uh, it it, it was certainly a moment, man, because the stroke happened in what's called the pons region of the brain, which affects speech and balance. Wow. And the choice for me to be sturdy on my feet or talk is no choice at all. And thank God that I my my voice really wasn't affected at all. My speech not affected at all. My mental cognition, not at all. You could blow me over with a feather. And Mm -hmm. my my left side is the cheapest date in San Francisco. My (laughs) left side is blowing drunk in a uh, uh, on a uh, on a breathalyzer. And my right side is, you know, sober as as a judge. It's it's. uh, I'd like to think maybe I'm fooling myself that it, it. it didn't change the arc of my career at all. 
because mm. again, that happened in 2017 and it's 2023. And I mean, we, we just plowed on through the whole thing, but it was, it was the best thing that ever happened in terms of me taking a, a mental and physical inventory about what I need. I, I haven't touched. I used to dip. I haven't touched mm-hmm. chewing tobacco since that moment. Cold Turkey, that bad boy just done never again. Haven't eaten fast food since that moment because it was a cholesterol thingy thing. So I've stayed away from all that. And hopefully I'm a little bit healthier. I certainly haven't, you know, developed a runner's body or anything like that. But, um, uh, I look at that moment as, as the scariest personal moment of my life. My wife and I had been married a very, very short time. And I was thinking, hopefully you saved your receipt. Cause if you want to trade me in, I get it. But boy, she stood by mm-hmm. me in a way that is just, um, that's my person, man. Jillian and I are forever. I'm mean, going to promise you right now that you're never going to hear about those two kids not working out. It just ain't going to happen. That's my girl. And, uh, the, the support, the, the, the bonding that the two of us went through in that moment. And now we got kids and it's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. Um, I'd like to think it didn't affect me professionally at all, but you're the listener. So you tell me, I, I, no, you're the same. No, you're, you're the same. You're the same guy. Um, I, I think that's an honest answer. I'm, I like that you didn't bullshit us and you didn't say after that moment, my style changed in this or that way. I'm intrigued by, I'm intrigued by the dipping because your livelihood is your mouth and it's, it's uh Hey, you know, it's maybe not the best for it. Did you even connect those two things or was it just this sense of it's, it's relatively harmless or, you know, what was with the habit going in? I mean, I think everyone who, uh, who makes bad choices thinks, well, it's not going to catch up and ever tap me on the shoulder, you know, as they're making bad mm-hmm. choices. Um, we all have vices. And that was one of mine. I remember really thinking in real time, uh, like I was wearing a Fitbit at the time. And I noticed that, geez, whenever I put a dip in my like my my blood pressure spikes like I'm freaking running on a treadmill. Mm. Maybe that's not good. But again, still, you know, playing a video game at the end of the night, throw a dip in. And that's that's kind of how I used to roll. It was just my little you know mechanism to relax. And I I I love the ritual of it all. Like, I know people think you're listening. They're like, I love the spitter. I love the spittoon. I love the whole thing. I really did. But uh, yeah, no, I knew knew it was bad for me while I was doing it. But, you know, again, I'm I'm only able to learn if it's a hard lesson. And boy, that stroke was a hard lesson. So there we go. Well, yeah, we we all do things that are less than healthy and we don't know necessarily. My sleep habits aren't very good. I don't know if that's going to catch up to me. My father's sleep habits aren't very good either, but he's still kicking. And so I don't I don't know. I have no idea. Um, And that's interesting. I like I like this topic. I'm going to call dumb guy science where I don't understand. (laughs) I'll give you an example of dumb guy science. This is the dumb guy science that I do. I happen to think that the parent that you look like the most is the parent whose personality you resemble the least, that you got all the face looks, you got all the the, the kind of superficial from the one that means you're going to get the brain stuff from the other. That's the kind of dumb guy science that I do. I go, I'm more like my mom, but I look more like my father. My dumb guy science in response to what you said about the dipping is maybe having the blood rush isn't good for you somehow. 
that not getting it through the cardiovascular way that you might get that rush, that seems like a healthy way to do it. You're doing something, you're almost wearing out the system by getting that rush. I have no idea what the studies are on on dip or anything like that, but that's my dumb guy takeaway from what you told me. So I do know what the studies are on dip. It's bad. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Don't, That's don't, the smart guy science. Yeah. Don't 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 do that. But uh, yeah, no. It, it was it was it was crazy to think that like here I am sitting on my couch, and uh, my heart is racing as if I'm racing. But this definitely is not something that is cardiovascularly good for me in any way, shape, or form. The same way we know that um, you know, uh, uh, a charcuterie plate isn't very good for you. But we're, mm. I love me some charcuterie too, you know, which is just a fancy yeah. way of saying meat and cheeses. <laughs> yeah. And, it, but, you know, I still, still eat that. But no, I, I figured it's officially time to start subtracting a few bad habits because that was the biggest, that was the biggest brush with a life altering moment as I've ever seen. I was in the hospital for 22 days with Whoa. occupational therapy and physical therapy. And, you know, right away, the guy that I was working with is my physical therapist. He saw me, you know, move my hand, like just, you know, can you spread your fingers? And the fact that I went from completely immobilized on my left hand side to spreading my fingers within about 48 hours after I couldn't move anything, he looked at me and he yeah. said, you're going to be okay. You don't ever want to have a stroke, but there are bad strokes and good strokes. And you just had a mm. good stroke. So you're going to I think have an awful lot of returns. Now I have a little bit of a drop foot and I'm going to tell you right now, if we're ever in a place together and there's a fire drill, cause there's a real fire, you're going to want to be in front of me, not behind me. I don't move fast. I am not mm. a quick on my feet guy and I will never be again because of the stroke. It, you know, it does hurt me. I'm, I'm never going to be able to like coach my kid at little league. I, I'm not going to make a good little league coach. I know that I'm going to be there. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be involved, but you know, hitting the, hitting the, you know, show, showing how anyone, how to run the base paths will be something I can never do. And, and it's, it's a little sobering to think about, but the alternate is I could have had a massive head injury that I never was the same and couldn't speak. And, you know, would. I had about as good of a stroke as a guy can have. I recommend you don't dabble in good strokes. Well, from the gratitude to the potentially petty, um, who is your greatest rival in radio in the Bay Area? I feel like at some level, everybody hates each other. I guess in the moment, it was Gary Radnich. Hmm. Gary and I, I mean, and I, of course, you know, I choose you know, a heavyweight champion of radio to be a rival, but Gary and I, Gary and I didn't, didn't see eye to eye or get along. We had an ill-fated week together. And I, I really resented the way that he handled that because he was telling me one thing and doing another thing behind my back. And that always bothered me. Um, so I, I harbored a lot of resentment, which, which by the way, I carry none of it anymore, but it, my greatest yeah. rivalry was in my past. I never considered, Tom Tolbert, a rival of mine, even though we were in, you know, competing day parts. I just, I never, I, I, I love Tom. I love, I don't think that there's ever been an athlete who has made the transition to, I'm a broadcaster that sounds just like a normal human being as well as Tom did. I mean, he, he is, he is just a delightful guy and he's a good guy. He's easy to talk to. And so I never harbored any like, Oh, I got to take him out in any way, shape or form. I, it's funny. I, I never. I mean, I don't know, maybe my show would have been better if I had, you know, 
a Don Imus to be angry at all the time. And rah, you know, but I, I didn't really have one and I couldn't, I never, I never invented one in my own mind to make me a better, angrier, feistier host or anything like that. Um, God, yeah, again, I wish I had a better answer for you. Something for the sizzle, no, that's, something, something to tease good. the podcast with. But I never no. really had anyone who I thought that person rubs me the wrong way. Most of the people I've ever met in radio, I really, really like. And there was a time I was talking to a comedian because I also love the world of stand up comedy. So any chance I get to interview a comedian or talk to them or pick their brain in the green room or hang out with them, I love taking those opportunities. And I was talking to Jay Moore. And. You know, he and Jeannie I bus it. Jeannie buses Jay Moore. Sorry to interject. Come on. Right. I can't believe dude. He's a, he's a heartbeat away from making trades for the Lakers. And he's yes. such a sports guy. There's no way he's not in her ear. Right. I mean, it's just and don't tell me just Jeannie one, isn't influential. Just one more voice. One exactly. more voice. In that. <laughs> exactly. But anyways, I, I asked Jay, you know, because I was curious too. who in comedy do you not like? Do you think that guy's not funny? Who, who rubs you the wrong way? And he said, honestly, man. You know, there are people who make me laugh more than others. There are people who make me laugh less than others. But I have so much respect for anyone who's got the balls to get up there and do that, that if you do that, as far as I'm concerned, we're in like the same brotherhood and I'm not about to go stabbing a brother. And that's sort of the way I've always looked at broadcasting. You don't hear throughout my career a lot of like, that guy is terrible. Don't listen to him. He stinks. They stink. She stinks. You know, that you don't hear a lot of that in my career because there is a part of me that recognizes, even though as a broadcaster, you may not be my personal cup of tea. I might not listen to your show very often. Like I didn't, I don't listen to Murph and Mac very, very often, but boy, I doff my cap with respect for the run that they have had. And they clearly have an audience that they appeal to greatly or they would not have had the run that they have right now. And and just because I am not an overwhelming listener doesn't mean my opinion about them should define. I like they're, they're in the game. I respect it. They got the balls to stand behind a microphone and say what they say. So I respect that. I, I don't I'm not I'm not about attacking other broadcasters. Yeah, you don't want to. Li- hold on to any of the resentments, certainly. But I am curious uh, because I don't know all the legends of radio, and I apologize if I should know about this, but what what did happen with you and, and Radnich, who was this uh, major fixture of Bay Area radio for those listening who are not from this region uh, for a long time and somebody who uh, was a great ad-libber, but it certainly had a kind of hard, caustic edge to him as well. I think so. We got paired together and he had always done a solo show. But at the end of his career on KNBR, they were looking to, all right, we need to get more out of Gary. We got to have somebody in there to like sort of reboot the system or keep it on sports because he would he would just I mean, he he was more interested in talking about Frankie Beverly songs and last night's episode of Real Housewives. I mean, like it it became an off the rails thing. And I'm a very much, hey, it's a sports show. We're talking sports. Sure, other things will creep in, but we're not going to do a show where we're talking about other things and sports creeps in. So I think that we were uh, a, a yin and yang that did not fit together. But as I was trying to make it fit together and I was giving him calls saying, hey, did that work out? And he'd be like, yeah, that was great. That was great. And in the meantime, he was on the phone saying, get me out of here. Get him out of here. Mm. So one of us has got to go. This isn't going to work. So to me, there was, I like to think I'm a talented guy. He obviously had his his talent or, you know, you you don't go 30, 40 years in a market without talent. And he was a funny entertainer. Um, 
I think if we could have been more honest with each other, and again, the dishonesty wasn't coming from me, if we could have been honest to each other, we could have maybe figured it out and made it work somehow. But, you know, if you're if you're telling me that, yeah, keep it up, everything's great. And then you're walking in the program director's office and saying, yeah, this isn't working at all. Get rid of them. I mean, you know, which how how can yeah. we fix anything if we're not willing to talk about how you really feel about anything? So yeah. that that bothered me. And, you know, we, so we did a week together and then all of a sudden Gary's like, well, I'm going on vacation. But he was still doing Cron, which was the local TV at the time that he was doing. And someone said to me, like, hey, when Gary takes a vacation, it's usually from radio and TV. I've never, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, following his entire career, see him take a vacation from radio and not TV. So maybe something's up here. And again, I called him, Gary, everything okay? Yeah, 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 everything great. Yeah. And it wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah. But wow, man. I forgive him. I forgive him. It, because it, leaving KNBR eventually for the afternoon drive show uh, on 95.7, uh, changed my life and my profile in this town. And, you know, I think that I'm the rare guy who shed the call letters of KNBR and had a degree of success that included beating KNBR. I don't know if anyone did that before me. So, um, oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, this, this brings up another question I might have. Would you ever come back to KNBR if presented with the opportunity? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I am, I am just old enough to be dumb in love with radio to the point where like, oh, I love those call letters. And I do. They're great call letters. They are KNBR. It's a, it's a wonderful brand. It's a great station. It's a heritage station. It's established. And um, and yeah, I mean, there's how about this? What opportunity do I have the economic freedom to say no to at this point? You know, I don't. I got no, no, I got, no, no. Don't talk. You can't talk that way. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta seem a little hard to get. You can't, you can't, you can't. Don't, don't say. Look, I'm looking at a few different offers. Hey, look at it this I've way. Got, yeah. I'm not coming back for weekends. We ain't doing <laughs> nights. We ain't doing sports phone. You know, I mean, like, I know who I am. I know the brand that I've established, yeah. and if they can figure out a way to take what I think is the biggest brand in Bay Area radio. KNBR, and maybe if I could sound so arrogant enough to say, you know, an, another big brand in Bay Area radio and, and put it back together, of course, I would listen to that conversation. But I will also say there's a part of me, Ethan, that is so interested in exploring for at least a year, like what happens to my YouTube channel if I put every drop and ounce of effort into that as I did my radio career. What could that turn into? And there's a part of me that is so excited about this new frontier that I I kind of want to walk around it before I go retreating to anything that would, you know, I would think in my mind would be a safe move or a safe space. Um, we'll see how much time I have to think like that because again, it's it ain't inexpensive to live in San Francisco. I got a house. I got a mortgage. Thank God I got a wife who's a, a you know, a, a fantastic earner and she's in tech. And so we're, you know, the Century 21 sign hasn't hit the front yard yet. But, you know, if if, if we're not back to some sense of normalcy in the bank account, uh, you know, that who, who knows what happens? And at the same time, I ain't leaving. You know, like this is this is my town. I got way too much market equity to just go walking away from the Bay Area. And there has been a, a rabid response. I mean, it's it's a sad, pathetic number when you compare 
you know, other YouTube channels, but I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've posted uh, three videos and have 3000 subscriptions already. I got people who have been operating in this space telling me like, okay, that's kind of ridiculous, no, Damon. Like you, you have picked up a, a huge part of your audience. Like these are the P ones. These are the yeah. people who will follow you literally anywhere. Um, and it's amazing. Three videos. Believe it. This is where I, 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 I shamelessly plug away now damon no Bruce. no i by all means go go but i just before you plug because we do the plug in the outro um yeah that's how it starts off I, I would analogize it to you when you start off your independent venture you unless you're matt iglesias or andrew sullivan you, you are not just made whole you're, you're you're not made whole and made rich on day one what you get if it's good you're in the lap lane and you got a great push off the wall you had a great push off the wall. When I started the first few days on Substack, I think I got about 3,000 free subscribers. So the total subscribers, non-paying non for it, and about 300 paying. So, you know, carry the one minus the two, roughly, we're looking at maybe a little over $30,000 annualized. That is not enough to live on in the Bay Area, given what my family is doing. So what did I get from that? I was not made rich from that, but that was a hell of a push off the wall in the lap lane. And you just got to keep going off of that. And so I think that's very impressive for day one, opening up the channel. And then the rest of it will be defined by how you carry that momentum forward. But that's a hell of a push off the wall, sir. And well, thank hey, you. Keep on pushing, plug ahead. And now I got to operate in this space and I got to figure out, you know, the algorithm, you know, to me, algorithm is, you know, how the giants are figuring out how to put their lineup together. Not, not something I ever used in my broadcasting career, but now I got to learn mm -hmm. the system. Um, and, and we really, we live in a content creation economy that uh, it's time for me to join and, and sort of, you know, work for myself for a little bit here and see if I can't get something officially going with some traction. And I, I think I can do it again. I, I got to this spot by betting on myself. Why would I stop doing that now? Especially when, you know, as I look over both shoulders, I really don't have a choice. Like, here we are, mm. you know, um, yeah. and, you know, until the next radio opportunity presents itself. And as I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in talking. I've been talking to Sirius XM. I've been talking to Amazon. I've been talking you know, a lot of people are interested and I'm flattered by that. I'm really interested in seeing what I can do in this space. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what my channel might look like in a year from now, what I can do with it. And um, I'm really excited about it. And I do, I, I guess, you know, for a guy who's 48, I feel a little 28 again. I got that, you know, that, that, that nervous energy in my belly that I haven't had. And it's easy to grow you know, I, I don't want to say I was, you know, uh, there there was any complacency in me. Yeah. But when you're in the, you know, when when you have the best ratings you've ever had in your career and you're in the first year of like a three year contract and you're the only person that has ever signed a third contract at the state, you know, there's a reason why I felt secure. I, yeah. I, 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 there was, a, you know, many data points returned like things are good. And then it wasn't. So here mm. we go now. And I'm interested in actual data points that are returned by like the YouTube analytics page, because the ratings game has always been an approximation of bullshit lined up however you want to, to make the argument that you're good or you're bad. You know, it's, it's, it's ratings are manipulated period. It's hard to manipulate mm. data points returned, you know, 
this person right here listened at this time exactly for this long. And that's the click through rate that you get. And there's no debate. And it's not an estimation. This is an exact total. So I'm, I'm fascinated in learning the ropes of this new industry for me anyways. And I, 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 I certainly am in the right town to find the people to help me through it. I know that. And the amount of people who have volunteered. Like there's there's a guy who reached out right away who said, Damon, I I will literally I'll edit and put up anything you want just be, so I can get your show back again. Like not having you in my afternoon drive mm-hmm. so pissing me off. I will work for free to just make you look good because I because you, you like if I get to listen to your show before anybody else does, I'd get such a kick out of that. And you hear something like that, and it's incredibly flattering, and in that you realize you know you you've you've built up a town that cares about you. And if I could just get drippy and romantic for a second year. It is kind of amazing. I have talked to two generations of sports fans. What a generation is about 10 years, right? So about 18 years on the air, I've been, I have talked to the same guy who was in a, in the hospital with his father as his father was dying, who then was in the same hospital as their child was being born. You know, I've got guys who've been listening to me since high school. They're adults now. What do you want to plug, Damon? What's your closing message to us all? Please subscribe to Damon Bruce Plus. On the YouTube. I guess I have to stop calling it the YouTube. God, that makes me sound old. I don't know what I'm doing the, here, Ethan. I'm going to make YouTube. it up as I go along. Uh, yeah, Damon Bruce Plus. Subscribe. We're going to be doing uh, not only sports, but obviously uh, some cooking seminars as well. Uh, it's, Please. I, I, I have absolutely no idea what is going to come of this or how exactly I'm going to go about it. So if you... Uh, are interested in seeing what I might do next. If you want to watch as it all comes crashing down, either way, I think there's going to be something for anyone out there. Um, boy, I thank you, Ethan, for for doing this and, and having me on. You know I've always had the highest regard for you and what you did and how you've done it. And I, I really mean it. As I tried to self-evaluate what I'm doing next, uh, you are an inspiration point in terms of just grabbing your own career, taking your own talent and making something out of yourself. So I thank you for the platform. I thank you for uh, the, the the fantastic conversation that I think we just had, which weaved in a lot of places like I knew it would. And and I, I have nothing but admiration for you. So thank you very much for having me on. And hopefully this isn't our last conversation. After all, you're going to want to retain my business and I'm a subscriber, damn it. <laughs> Ah, yes. And we will not hide it behind the paywall, even though I did think about it. I did. I maybe floated it. Maybe Anthony May is my conscience uh, in this case said that this would be one that we want to put out in front of the paywall for all to listen to. Damon, good luck with everything. Thank you so much for your time on this one. And we look forward to seeing what you do as an independent venture. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate it personal note how's your dog is it worried about the well still yeah, he's he's doing okay and they've covered <laughs> up i'm actually at the place where it happened and uh, hopefully there are enough barriers but he is he, get, he got an autoquan injection he's doing okay um and now i now i can't stick the landing i felt like i stuck it perfectly david and now I, i'm in dog world <sighs> <laughs> the intros will always be awkward at house of strauss we are not radio professionals but thankfully some people are including and especially one Damon Bruce. Thanks, Damon. Cheers, brother. Thank you. Thank you.